Hi, everybody, and welcome to A Land Called Homily. My name's David, and this is my podcast. I'm an Episcopal priest serving a beautiful little parish on the Gulf Coast of Alabama called St. Paul's Chapel. These are my weekly talks from our worship service, so I hope they can be of some help to you. Take what you can use and discard the rest. If you're interested in more of my content or if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can visit my website at davidchatel.com. Thanks for listening. I'm so happy to get to talk about this subject today, the last day of 2023. And in a sense, I think it's part of the way forward for the church, and particularly for our little corner of the Jesus movement called the Episcopal Church. And I think it's appropriate to take a moment to look to the future and to think about how we move into it in authentic and hopeful ways. The ideas I want to share with you this morning are not new. They've been part of the Orthodox Christian faith for, well, since the beginning. But across the centuries, they have somewhat drifted into the background. And to tie it all together, we have to go back to the foundations of our faith and beyond. The Jewish faith out of which the Christian faith sprung was largely based on what is called a sacrificial atonement system. It's a very detailed, nuanced understanding about how people would go about repenting for their inability to obey the law, the Torah. In the sacrificial atonement system, sinfulness and sinful actions separated humans from relationship and a sense of unity with God until some kind of atoning sacrifice could be made. Atonement. If you look at how that word is spelled, it gives you a clue to what it actually means. At one meant. To be reunited with God as one. And for many centuries, if a Jewish person wanted to repent of their sins and be reunited with God, it would require that they make some sort of animal sacrifice on an altar. Of course, this was not unique to the Jews. There is a good chance that it was adopted from one of the earlier Semitic religions found in that area that had influence on the development of Judaism in its early years. Judaism didn't develop in a, in a vacuum. Lots of ancient religions all over the world involved all sorts of ritual sacrificial acts, from agricultural sacrifices to animal sacrifices and even human sacrifices. The story we find in Genesis of Abraham taking Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice him to God would not have been considered an unusual practice. Most ancient gods required sacrifices according to the people who followed them. And this was to assuage their anger and calm their tendency towards destruction and smiting as far as the Hebrews knew, at that point, Yahweh was no exception. 
And the entire developing Jewish religion was built upon this idea of sacrificial atonement. Even up to the arrival of Jesus, when Judaism was already perhaps as much as 2,000 years old. A lot of us in this room, I would imagine, come from other denominations. Maybe some of you know that I grew up as a Southern Baptist. It wasn't so bad. (laughs) We had vacation Bible school in the summer, and that was kind of fun. Uh, We had GAs and RAs, which is basically the Baptist version of brownies and Cub Scouts. We had dinner on the grounds with some of the most amazing banana pudding you will ever put in your mouth. And um, we had Bible drills where you uh, were tasked with standing up in front of people with a closed Bible and someone would call out a verse reference and the person who could find it the fastest got a little bit of candy. (laughs) I was really good at that. You know what they say, um, Episcopalians make the best, I mean, Baptists make the best Episcopalians. And I think that's really just because we know the books of the Bible and where to find them. Of all of the things that I can um, say that I'm thankful for as a result of that upbringing, one of the most detrimental things that I received from it was this idea of sacrificial atonement. Maybe you, like me, were told at some point along the way that you were such a bad and sinful person that God had to kill his only son in a bloody execution to be able to love me again. Maybe you got the message that I did that my sin nature was somehow so powerful that it forever separated me from the love and forgiveness of God and doomed me to eternal hell. But if I would only say this little prayer, this little incantation, and invite Jesus into my heart, it would all disappear and go away. God wouldn't be angry anymore and would no longer send me to burn forever in some mysterious volcanic dungeon in the bowels of the earth. As I look back on that now, it's unfathomable to me that at eight years old, that was the reality that was explained to me by adults that I trusted and respected. Maybe you had a different experience than I did. You you certainly don't have to believe what I believe, but I have become increasingly convinced over the years of my adulthood that the spread of this doctrine is not only spiritually and emotionally abusive, but actually opposed to the life and teachings of Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't think... Anyone set out with anything but the best intentions. There are loads of people in my history who loved me and loved Jesus. 
But I can say now that I do not subscribe to the theology I was given by them. For nearly a thousand years after the death of Jesus, the majority of the church and its theologians held the idea that the death of Jesus was not meant to pay a penalty for sin to satisfy the demands of a just and angry God. Rather, they held that the crucifixion revealed the corrupted and broken patterns of the world that embraced violence and retribution. The crucifixion was a life teaching about what to expect from the world and an example about how to respond. Jesus, divine and human, emptied himself, took upon the form of a servant, even unto death, all motivated by love. The classic view of the early church for centuries was that it was not the crucifixion, but the incarnation of Christ that was the redemptive force of God in the world. Christ, who the Bible calls the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world, entered broken humanity, revealing and becoming for us the timeless redemption of God in reality. Christ became what we are so that we could become what he is. The Apostle Paul's theology in Galatians puts it front and center. He says, before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith, justified by Christ. He continues, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. And Paul says that as children of God, we have the spirit of Christ within us. We are no longer slaves to the law, but children of God. And as children, this important word, heirs inheritors of the reality of God within us. This one breathtakingly gorgeous, eternal, redemptive reality that reveals the mystery of our atonement, our at-one-ment with God and with each other. This is one of the reasons that I'm not dismayed about the future of the church. I'm not dismayed about the future of the Episcopal Church because we have within our tradition the freedom to hold up this truth and offer this viewpoint to folks who need to know. And I bet you know a bunch of them. Folks who need to know that God is not angry with them. That God didn't murder his son so he could love them again. 
God in Jesus became us so that we could be at one with God. The eternal, unconditional gift of God, the ground of our being, all this and so much more is why when I celebrate the Eucharist, it's not behind an altar of sacrifice. It's behind a table of celebration. This is a table of the coming of Christ. A manger for the world at which we are all called to come and eat, to take the living bread of Christ within us. But at which we are also called to give ourselves as servants to the world, uniting ourselves with Christ and with each other. And the incarnation of Christ frees us to live the life of Christ. Love, hope, peace, purpose, justice, dignity, acceptance at one meant, lived in us and lived through us for others. Amen.